If you feel you are being victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact customer service at 855-466. All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you rat bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. Greetings from the prison industrial complex. This is the Pizza, Corn, and Lettuce Podcast, sometimes referred to as Notes from the Pin. I am the drunken captain of this ghost ship, and we're sailing somewhere between the Bermuda Triangle and the Great Lakes, where we find an inmate, our favorite convict, not a usual suspect. I got the main dude on here. What's up, Chino? Hey, what a fucking stellar intro, you prick, you! I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta start uh, lighting them up. No, no, that was really fucking uh, poetic. Luckily, I woke up right at the. No, it was good. I like. <laughs> so yeah, I'm doing good, and it's uh, I know we've had a bunch of chaotic, um, usual suspects, and you know, outside the box ones, and so we figured. Uh, been a while since just the old the old convicted felon wakeboarder and the and the captain get to um hit a couple waves. I shall fall apart. You get your phone back together. We we got this. You make sacrifices. Alright, no, I just I just trailed off because I lost steam on, on the the analogy and was not pleased with it, so I just Felt I deserved to sit in uh, awkward silence for a moment. It's over now, though. <laughs> we can proceed. Okay, so today, uh, for the viewers, we are going to go back into our funky uh, talk where uh, we, we this is what we were going to do before Barb walked by um, on one of the last podcasts, and we had to abort, abandon ship, and go straight to uh, interviewing Barb just because that was so interesting and sad at the same time. And... We're going to go back to bunkies, and Bobby's going to discuss his second bunkie. And there's a lot to unravel with uh, his second bunkie. Of course, his first bunkie was Chop, as you guys will remember. Chop um, Chop will have back on again because he is uh, somehow in the same prison as Bobby once again. And he's a cool dude. So Chop notwithstanding, we're going to go to the next guy. And what's his name, Bobby? Well, I kind of gave you a little heads up before, just in just in passing when we were talking. And everyone's got some weird nickname in here for reasons of being able to claim anonymity throughout the prison system in case people are telling stories and whatnot. You don't want your government shouted around and everyone knowing that. By the way, when someone says your government name, it's like a big like er, record scratch. And you're like, damn, are you using my government now? They're just shouting my shit out like that. What's wrong with you? Oh, my bad. So, this this funky's name is Scott. But since we talked, you were kind of like he doesn't have. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I was gonna. I always commented that his nickname was just his name was just Scott. But I went back and looked through my phone book, and he was cool enough that we exchanged information, hookups, as they say. I got his hookup, and um, I looked, and his first name is Richard. So <laughs> I don't know how it worked out. But somehow he, his nickname, his prison nickname, was actually a nickname, which is Scott, which is somehow smarter than what we do because if you if someone drops a kite on you, telling, 
for something and they're like, Scott did this, that they're going to assume that's the person's real name. They're going to look for a Scott. And, uh, so touche Richard, you dick. And, uh, yeah, he was the second bunkie and he came in, uh, after chop went to level two to tantalize yet another segment of predators and <laughs> child molesters, which left, uh, well, left me in an empty cell for a little while, which was the first time in a while. I think me and Chops says we were bunkies for about six months. I can't get a terrible memory. I just got to hear the intercom, and I'm not so sure that's English. Is that a Eastern language? Oh, no, listen. You're – you don't – you'd have to be here for a while to know. And I've been here a while and still I'm like, what is she saying? Is that a she? That's not English. Do they have some sort of – Marmot up there in a stranglehold, <laughs> making it squeal into the microphone because I don't know what that means. But you just have to listen like super, like you squint, you kind of tilt your head towards the nearest uh, intercom and listen for your last name, which you can usually catch, or your lock, what your cell number is. And everyone on the yard stops and squints and goes, and as soon as they realize it's not them, the yard resumes. So yeah, you got to hear that eloquent um, speaker, whatever it is. From a small woodland creature. Yeah, that's the prison, the compound intercom, which is even more distorted than them. And that's, that's what wakes you up every morning. It's just random, that's just random barking, nonsensical, jarring noises. Just stuff like that where you're like, all right, motherfucker. Oh, yeah, prison could get worse. It's just abuses of every sense that you have at every moment. So, uh, so yeah, back to what we were saying. So, so chop leaves. And then now I got a cell to myself in level four, which is just, let's just get weird, man. Let's just hang the towel up. And like, we're going to use this, um, for some self-flagellation. So which, which happened, I'm hoping like, you don't know when it's going to be. There's no set time. Sometimes you don't have a bunkie for six hours. And then sometimes you don't have one for days. And so, so Chop leaves early in the morning, and later that night, I'm like, sweet, I'm going to have a full night to myself. Later that night, after everyone's locked down, we're in for the night, um, old Scotty comes dragging his duffel bag in my cell. That's how on level four you know because you can't open your own door. The cell door cranks and pops open. So I'm like, what? So I instantly run out there and pull the door all the way open and look out, and there's a guy dragging his uh, duffel bag in. I'm like, God damn, it's my fucking bunky. But he's uh, he ended up being all right. Old Scotty comes in, dragging the bag. He's probably my height, about six foot tall, 190 pounds. You know, like works out. You can tell it's good shit. You have one minute remaining. Um, prison tattoos. Been down about five or six years, and uh, I already uh got my paperwork up on the board. You know what I mean? So it's like. All right, let's go through this routine. Let me check your stuff out. Yeah, you've explained that before. That's where, hey, anytime you're going to meet somebody new, let's check out each other's CSIs. We don't have to go deep into it, but uh, all i got to know is see if you're a chomo or not. And um, it, is there anything else you're looking for specifically? Rat. Rat. Okay. How do you know that from a CSI? PSI. Oh, it's PSI? Because it, uh, yeah, we're going to get caught, so let me just hit you right back. All right, call me back. So you're look, what are you looking for when you hang up the PSI? You're looking for a rat. I don't know how you can tell there's a rat. You're looking for chomos. What else you got? Well, 
Because PSI describes your it describes your case, right? So it has your statement. So if you're making a statement about your co-defendant, right, and you're like, well, so-and-so was driving the car, and uh, we robbed this guy, and then this person took, you know what I mean? You're telling on your co-defendant. So already, like, you can't be trusted. That's, that's the whole, that's your, that's your um, fact sheet to check your facts against. It shows your criminal history. It shows everything. Then it shows your case, the details of your case. So when someone says, um, when when a new mem- when a member of an, of our of your fraternity shows up from another spot, you that's the first thing you say. Run your PSI. Bring your PSI out. As soon as you get your property, bring it out. And then there's a certain position in the fraternity that takes that uh, PSI and looks at it and looks for anomalies and you know all that stuff. I'm not really that concerned with, I mean, I am, but I'm probably not going to put you out if you mention something about your co-defendant. Um, I just not, I'm just going to know I can't, I don't know how much I can trust you in there with whatever is going on. But my main thing is like, you're not a child, you weren't out there banging kids. So I have mine up and then you see, he had already showed up with his property because old Scotty came from level one. Carson City was a level one, a level two, and a level four. So he came from this. We already had his property. Now he comes in. I think I might have mentioned this before in another episode, but he comes in and he's got a bandage on the side of his face, like freshly, like a white bandage with, you know, a little tape on the sides and then a bandage over the bottom part of his, half of his earlobe. And so he comes in and he's uh, understandably a little on edge, head on a swivel, like a little tense. Well, yeah, he went from a, a one to a four to, for his protection. Yeah, and I had never, uh, he'd never been to a level four before, so he, like, hears all these horror stories. And Wait, 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 are we skipping? I mean, I know we mentioned it before, but I feel like maybe we should reiterate why he has a bandage on his face, or were you going to get to that? Oh, yeah, no, I was going yeah, to get to that. Okay, proceed, I apologize. So he, he comes in there. He comes in there, and uh, I'm first thing I do is there's my PSI. I mean, not my PSI, my cover sheet, which has my charges on it. When you let me, you know, let me know. When he's like, all right, yeah, yeah. He's like, he already knows the drill. And I can, you can look at someone's tattoos and tell. Oh, he's been, he's either been to prison before, like on other bits, or he's been here for a little while because you can tell prison work. Um, it has a certain style. It's not, it's, it's a lot better than you'd think, some of it. And uh, I can see, like, oh, like he's got prison work, so he's. You know, he's not new to this. He's not, he's, he looks like a convict. Other than the, uh, he has, he was walks in with state issued glasses, which are affectionately nicknamed Chomo 3000s. And, uh, they're, they're clear, like sunburst clear, like 1978 glasses, where the bridge of the nose thing isn't at the top. It's at the, it's in the middle, like the two circles connect in the middle, and they're like squared off circles. They're terrible looking. So he's wearing those, and he's wearing, like, his, the orange beanie, and doesn't look like he's got a lot of nice stuff, but he was also in a hole, so that's why he's wearing his blues. So I'm, the, you know, once we get that out of the way, I'm like, what, what's up? What, you're obviously, I know because he has his bag with him already that he's, he was here, and I know he's not in level four because I know the people, and I've never seen him before. So I'm like, where are you coming from, level two or level one? He's like, I'm coming from level one. And um, I'm like, what happened to your face? Like, what's up? Because if someone's buck fifty'd, you're instantly like, "Oh, is he? Did he tell on?" You know what I mean? It's not a good sign. Right, right. So I'm like, "What's going on? Like, what's up?" I introduce myself. I'm not being a tough guy, but I'm, you know, you're like gauging who this person is and whatnot. You're gonna live with. 
stupid. Or or te- or not live with, or kick the fuck out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's he's your yeah. size with prison tat, and you know it looks a little gamey. So just kicking him out might be a bit of a chore. And the door's already shut, automatically locked behind him. So we're just standing in there. Um, he's probably he's bigger than me at the time. I was probably like one seventy at the time. Okay. And he was like one, you know, he was a little more filled out. But um, he's real like he, I can tell he's like skittish and stuff. But he seems all right. There's nothing, no red flags other than the, the bandages on his face and ear. So I'm, you know, what happened? He says, "Well, I got into it in the weight." This is a shorter version. He got into it with the weight pit in the weight pit with uh, some younger kids who were part of a fraternity. He didn't know this at the time. Um, Scott wasn't a part of a fraternity, which I respect about him, especially now that I've been down for a little longer. And, you know, there's there's pros and cons to uh, not being part of it. And he never he never joined a fraternal order? Nope. Okay. Nope. Which that might not sound like a lot, but that means a lot to, like, I'm like, I like that. Uh, if you could join one and you don't. You know what I mean? If you're some weirdo that no one's going to ask, of course you didn't join one. You never had the option. But if you can tell, like, like after knowing him, I wouldn't have minded bringing him home, as they say, to to our fraternity because he was a solid stand-up dude, you know right. what I mean, who would right. take care of his business. So he says he gets into it, someone's disrespect, and just comes and snatches weights that he's using. They're, like, set in front of him. And he's like, hey, I was using those, and they kind of mouth off to him, like two of them, like 18, 19-year-olds, level one. So he gets wastes no time and end up pummeling one of them. The other one takes off. So he beats one up, and then you know the kid he walks off and he leaves his shit there, or whatever. So the problem about about not being one one of the things when you're not in a fraternity, you don't know who's for the most part in other fraternities. When you're in a fraternity, you know you're like, okay, that's this group, that's that group, that's this group, and you know because you know you need to know who who else out there, and you just know like people like. Like the nine finger Mexican, like he'll, he'll always be like, I think he's a GD, or and I'm like, no, he's not. He's this, or no, he's that. Because I still have that radar where I see who hangs out with who and the little little things that the uninitiated wouldn't really know. The color of their basketball shorts, or just the yeah. or just weird little stuff that you can pick up on. Yeah, when they shake up, when they shake hands with someone, what they do, okay, how they do it. And all, and all that little stuff and the way they wear their hat if it's tilted to the right or the left that narrows it down it divides it in half you know what I mean and then you're like okay so he's this he's definitely not these guys or whatever so yeah so I think he wasn't really thinking about that or really giving a shit about that and then later on in the day he's walking around and if you do that to someone in a fraternity they either don't tell their brothers, which is rare because it was people seen it, or they have, or they do. People, their, their bros find out, and now they have to do something retaliatory because you can't stand for, oh, it's okay to fuck one of these guys up, and they're not going to do nothing. So they give one of these kids a razor blade attached to a, a toothbrush, and uh, I say, get them together. So he's just walking, and he just feels a little like nick on the side of his face. And it's the it's the kid that he beat up, hit him with a razor, and but it cut through the bottom part of his earlobe, like didn't cut it off, but cut through like the back of it, and then hit nicked his face. So it went through his ear, and then to like a two inch gash on his face. And uh, he, they ended up fighting, and there was another kid, so they kind of tried to jump him, and then they just ran off. And be, and when when they came, they saw it on camera, and the cops came over and cuffed him up, 
Um, later, like I think he went back to his unit or whatever, and he's bleeding. You know what I mean, pretty profusely. Sure. And he's trying to keep it. He's trying to keep it hidden, as you do, as a real convict does. But they see, and they are come here. And what happened? He's like, oh, nothing. I fell. And they know, they can see it tells a razor blade. And they go and review the... Actually, back then, it was before we had a bunch of cameras. So I don't think they reviewed the camera. But basically, he won't tell them who it is. And because he won't tell them who it is, they're like, well, well you're going to level four. We're going to send you to level four for your own safety. <laughs> and um, Scott That's was... Crazy. Had done, about, had done about five years and was, I think, six months from seeing the parole board. So now he's going to see the parole board and it's going to say he's housed in a level four which isn't a good look. Why are you in a level four? Why are you seeing us in a level four? What's going on? Can you not handle yourself? You've been getting into shit. You've been getting into, you know what I mean? Right, right. You've been catching major LOPs. You've been doing what? What's the problem? Oh, if you got sent up to a level four, you must have done something terrible. Yeah. And at a, at a facility like this, where there's no other levels, the facility I'm in now is just a level one, they wouldn't send you anywhere because they might send you to another unit. But because Carson City was a regional facility that had all the levels except five, they would use that. They would abuse that, right? So if you got into shit in level one, they'd go, oh, we're shooting you to level four as like a punishment. And then you'd have to stay there for at least three months. And that's how I met a bunch of the people in my fraternity that were in level one. You'd never get to see them. They'd get into shit over there, and then they'd shoot them over to level four. And, like, we were kind of like the big homies over there because, you know, we're the bros and max. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, so that was my second punk. He comes in there and... He's got a good sense of humor. He's self-deprecating, slightly racist, but not not like he won't be friends with black people or anything. But like on some like, yeah, all I know is like the, all the trouble I've ever had in here is from black kids. So I don't know about him type shit. You know what I mean? Like not out outright, but like kind of like is shaded racially. You know what I mean? But okay. I'm ambiguously enough to where. Uh, even if even if I was he was with a black monkey, if he was cool, he was friends with black people. But I noticed that, and I remember talking him, me, my who hadn't been in prison for but for six months, of trying to talk him out of it. Like, no, you're a fucking dummy, bro. You're just making broad generalizations. And um, you know, I, I don't know. He was a good guy, like Scott. And uh, that that but that first night, he comes in. I don't want to spend a lot of time with this, but this will play into what ended up happening to him there. He. Uh, he comes in and, and after he gets comfortable, he like reaches down in his like crotch. He's got shit stuffed there, and he it's toilet paper, and he unrolls it, and there's uh, like four orange pills there. And I'm like, I'm minding my business, you know. He's like, Hey, uh, you want some? You want to a couple of these effectors? And I'm like, What? He's like, I'm like, No, nah, I'm all right, man. What? He's like, They're like kind of like Adderall. They're state pills. Now, I didn't know this at the time. State pills are garbage. And you know, I mean, we're from the land of prescription pills, so I'm the I'm a uh, practical almanac when it comes to <laughs> pills and stuff. And I there's very few I've met that I didn't like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pillid.com. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm the guy that's watching like The Departed or some movie, and and someone shakes a, a handful of oxycons out of a bottle, and they don't look right, and I'm like, ah, no, I can't even watch the movie. <laughs> like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is shit. You got Leonardo DiCaprio in here, but you can't figure out what oxycontin 40s look like. Come on. So uh, so he's like, doesn't take much arm twisting. All he has to do is mention that they're like, and I'm throwing hard finger quotes. Um, they're like Adderall. They're speedy. And I don't really like speedy shit. Like but he's got pills. <laughs> yeah, but he's, but he's a stranger who just pulled, pulled pills out of his crotch. 
<laughs> That's enough for me. Who's got a? <laughs> so he's like, uh, yeah, he's like, here, just take these, and, and we're locked in for the night anyway. So I'm like, okay, we'll be. I take these two fucking effector pills that people pay like a buck fifty a piece for when people cheek, cheek them when they go to Medline and cheek them, and I proceed to have the worst, most dirtiest high maybe of my whole life. I'm just sitting on my bunk, profusely sweating, highly anxious, like, what did you give me? What the fuck is wrong with you? And he's down there just, like, twiddling his thumbs, like, he's like, I usually don't take these. I usually sell them, but fuck it. So he, like, popped a couple, and he's fine. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I was like, this... And then I realized, like, oh, like, maybe I'm actually a pill snob once you come to prison and realize what they're doling out, like, to these animals. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was just terrible, the dirtiest, like... Like, I don't know, like I huffed Raid or something. It was fucking weird. And it was upper-ish in the sense that my heart was, like, <laughs> racing and shit. Hated it. Was done. And then he's like, he tells me you know, later, he's like, yeah, they're not so bad if you just snort them. And I'm like, oh, all right, well, I'm busy grinding my teeth to a pulp right now, so will you shut up for a second? So uh, that was, like, a nice little gesture by him, even though it was terrible. I regretted it instantly or about 20 minutes in where he's like, here, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is like a nice, like generous, like free willing guy. He's probably not a rat because he's clearly cheeking pills and fucking pat- selling them and pat- you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, went in Rome, <laughs> went in a level four prison cell, just snort uh, crotch pills. You have one minute remaining. Crotch pills that are probably not, that are maybe a worse high than basalt. But, eh, you know, he's offering, and I don't want to decline. You know, I don't want to be rude. I, that was the beginning of a, a lesson I learned. And, I, you know, I'm one to bounce my head off a wall a couple times before I realize it hurts. Um, because I tried other ones, and I realized, oh, state pills are terrible. will not have anything to do with them, and they're disgusting. No, thank you. And uh, that was he showed me. He gave me my first lesson in that. Uh, like, not all pills are created equal. Kids remember that. <laughs> if, a, if a guy pulls pills out of his crotch, make sure they're... Make sure there's some high-quality shit. Something uh, celebrities OD'd on. That's how you know they're good. Yeah, if, if they weren't produced by Purdue Pharma uh, and uh, hundreds of thousands of people died from them, then they're probably not that fun. <laughs> then they're not for me. And they shouldn't be for you either. Remember that. Hey! Hey! Tori the Virgin Bull says, uh, what's up, Jeremy? He said, what's up to you? What's up, Toro? Yeah. He fell asleep. When I told him on Toro. Yeah. <laughs> then I hung up. <laughs> he hung up on me now. So, <laughs> he's laughing. So, um, yeah, old Scotty just coming in hot. He's real trustworthy. Just came in assuming I wouldn't say nothing <laughs> to him. But, um, yeah, so we hit it off, man. Scotty was a cool guy. He had his own tv he had his own property he'd been down for about five five years almost six uh, yeah five something and he was getting ready to see the board he was worried about being in level four and uh, you know whatever we became uh friends he was cool he's you know you know me if you have a good sense of humor and self-deprecating which he he was he was humble and shit and he was a good guy man i liked him a lot so that's how it started with us you know we uh spent a couple months into where he was um I think two weeks from finally seeing the parole board and he was still in level four. Um, and shit kind of went sideways for him. 
And uh, I feel like some of it was Chop's fault, probably. Yeah, you you kind of mentioned that to me before, but I don't really know all of the, the details. Uh, so can you're going to get into the deets? Yeah. So when 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 Chop left, when Marshall left, uh, the you know he was on some hot boy shit the whole time he was he was there before we were bunkies and stuff, and um, he left and didn't really think much of it. Now. Fast forward, you know, to Scott had been doing his thing, you know, cheeking meds and selling them to make money, you know, so he could have something to eat and, you know, make three bucks a night doing that. And he had the most ingenious way of cheeking pills. So they, you know, they make you swallow them and then you got to go, ah, and show them, you know, like a nut house, like Miss Ratchet would make you do and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But he had a brilliant way. So good, I don't, I'm not going to put it out there in case the, he ever, he's back now or something. He's still using the technique. Oh, damn it. I'm so interested to know what that is. But if you can't say it, then don't say it. I'm super interested. Can you think, say it in code? I think I can. I, right. I, don't, I think it'll just fly right under. So... He's like, I never told anyone this. I'm like, how are you fucking doing this every time? Because uh, most people that cheat meds would like would be like, as long as so and so is not working today, because she doesn't really, you know, she checks real hard and the other ones don't or whatever. He came back with them every time, and I'm like, how? You're good, man. He's like, I got a good technique, and I'm like, well, what is it? So he would take these little packs of like antibiotic ointment, and he would take a little fucking little pea size of that, and put it on the roof of his mouth and when he would get the when he would get the, the gear he would just put the pills in his mouth use his tongue to mush them up in there and it would stay there like right the roof of his mouth like right behind his teeth you know what I mean like that yeah 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 and then he'd swallow the water and go ah, tongue up and everything and then come back and just scoop them right out in the, in the cell Working. genius genius brilliant right it's good and, yeah uh and so, now that was the easy part for him. So this is about two, it was two weeks, I remember, because he's freaking out after this shit happened. It was two weeks before he sees the board, which he's already worried about being there, but he didn't catch a ticket for getting slashed, obviously. They just put him over there for his quote-unquote home protection. I was like, you can probably explain your way out of that. But this is a prime example, and this is what I tell, like, my neighbor and, like, these young kids in here. This place will fuck you over without a reason. If you give them even a small one, if you're if you're being lax at all about anything before you see the parole board, bro, you're just you're just fucking with fate, man. Because they'll find a way. But if you give them away, you got no one to blame but yourself. So he's going on, and instead of stopping doing that um, before he goes home, he's still he's been so good at it that he comes back, and there was this really fucking hard nosed CEO there, and. He ends up getting toughed up, and like you know, when people see that, they tell you like, "Hey, uh, Chino, your bunkie just got cuffed up." And we were—he was coming back from Medline when he got cuffed up. Now they ended up letting him go, and then he came down there. So what he tells me the story: what happened was he comes back and he's trying to hand him off, right? He, that's where they—that's where they see him during the play. So he's got him folded up in paper, and he's about to to move him, right? And and this CEO sees him, and he's like, "Hey." What's in your pocket? And he's like, What are you talking about? I was like, Shake down, what's in your pocket? He's like, Nothing's in my pocket. And so he dips in there and grabs him. And he's like, Give me, give me that. Give me that. He knows if he gets popped with, even though he's prescribed him, he's going to get a substance abuse. So he's bringing him back and moving him. Yeah, obviously not allowed to do that. 
So he eats him real he quick. The con- so right in front of him, he opens his hand and just bomb, just right and swallows him. And then it's like nothing. Now, this cop, I almost said his name a couple times, this CEO who I had problems with, is why, which is why actually why I got rode out of there on an emergency ride-out one night. But just boom, gets him, like, fuck you. And so they wrote him a DDO, which is which he might have been able to beat because the, the, he never actually told him, give me those. He was just like, what do you got on you? What do you got on you? You know what I mean? Or so he says. And then he just was like, okay, nothing. I got nothing on me now. You can piss test me, whatever. I'm not. I'm going to be straight because I take those pills. But he made an enemy. You know what I mean? He made him look this hard nose, look stupid in front of people, and he got down. So he comes back. He's like, I ain't worried about that DDO. I'll beat that positive dog. And um, two days later, or a day later, I mean, it was real soon after that, they come and uh, yank us out and uh, to shake down our cell. Now, they were always shaking down our cell, my cell specifically, even before he was my monkey. I was real hot on the radar from doing fraternal stuff. So they're in there shaking down, and um, we're, like, waiting in, in one of the day rooms that's not being used while they're shaking down. So they come out. And they're like, they say his last name, Scott, stand up, hands behind your back. They cuff him up, and they and they take him away. So he goes to the hole for a minute. or I don't remember where they put him. or where, wait, wait, what's the attitude in the day room? You guys are like, them motherfuckers, we ain't got nothing. They don't know. What the fuck? You know, what are they yeah, going to yeah, find? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing in there, right? They're going to tear our shit up as per usual. They're not going to find anything. They never do. Cause they're not going to put anything away or clean it back up. It's gonna You're going to come back in there. It's going to be uh, a hobbled mess. Absolutely. It's going to be our chore for the night. Is because it was at night and this was like after yards were closed, so it was weird they were doing it. We're like, all right, whatever. So they shake us down and we're like, this would be our thing for the night. God damn it, we're gonna have to go. It's an inconvenience to us, right? We're, they, they know nothing's in there. We're gonna have to clean all this shit up. Blah blah blah. So I don't remember the exact order. If they came and cuffed him up or took him, or they sent me back and they took him up front. They cuffed him up, and took him up front, or something. But at some point. He comes back, and they're like, they're asking him stuff while they were while they had him isolated, and they're like, "What about this?" We're just asking him weird shit, but he can't really tell what they're talking about. So then they shoot him back to the cell. So we're just sitting in there, and one of the other COs, which is actually a pretty cool one, comes in and slides the ticket um, under the door or says what the ticket is because he's like yelling out the door. He's like, "What the fuck was this shit?" Now this is like nine or ten at night, and. Um, he come, the other CO, the kind of cool one, comes down and is like, yeah, um, CO Hard Nose found a razor blade in your area of control. So that's a class one dangerous contraband. Like, you're going to go to the hole type shit for this. And he's oh, in the port. Now, now, I know for a fact he did not have any weapons in there. I know he didn't have a razor blade. But where they described it, now there's a middle, there's a desk, right? We got our bunk bed all the way against the back wall farthest from the cell door. Um, and then there's like a foot locker. If you step down, there's a foot locker right up against the bottom bunk. There's a desk and then a foot locker on the other side of it. Now the desk area of control, left side is mine, right side is his. He was on top bunk at this time. So they had found in the little crack between the top of the desk and the metal part of the desk, Shop. used to keep razor blades over there. Now, I'm pretty sure Chop had cleaned all that shit out and checked everything. 
and this hard no CO had been sent to level one to four for planting a knife, the same knife on multiple people. So they knew, so he had been known for doing this shit. And so we don't know what it was, but he's already locked in a cell and he loses his shit because he knows he didn't have anything in there. There's, I, I'm 99% sure there was nothing in there, that he found one somewhere and was like, within the two days prior, after he got down with the swallowing the pill thing, and was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I got this. I'm going to keep this in my pocket. And try. You know what I mean? And so Scott loses his mind. He's kicking the door, fucking yelling. Out. He's losing his shit. He's like, bitch, you know I didn't have no fucking razor here. Because he got set up. Because he got set the fuck up. By the dude he made look bad, who's a hard ass, who probably has a small pee-pee. Yeah, who's a slime ball? Oh, I seen him. We'll get into this at some other point. The first time I had to put in work for the for the uh, fraternity had something to do with him taking someone to the hole. But he, uh, so he's losing his shit in there, and I'm just sitting on the bunk like he's losing his shit so bad that I'm not even going to try. I can't. I don't even want to get up and try to control him. Like he's justified. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll tell him to calm down in a minute. He's kicking the fucking door, bitch, yelling out the crack. Bitch, I'll fucking kill you. I'll fucking kill you, bitch. You know I didn't have shit. Just going ham. And um, so then three or four cops come and they're like looking through the window trying to talk him down. He's just kicking the door, bitch. I thought you know, you, and he's talking to the cool one. He's like, you know, I didn't have shit in here. You know that dirty bitch, da, 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 and that he's trying to talk him down or whatever. So he is. So so Scott starts saying, you better take me to the hole. Take me to the hole right now. Take like I need to get away from this guy because I'm gonna fucking kill him, whatever, whatever. So they go away, right? They're trying to like I don't know if they're going to get the cert team or whatever. They disappear, and he starts to calm down. I said, listen, bro. Chill out, sit down, sit down, sit down. This is going to get you nowhere. He's like, I'm, I'm two weeks from seeing the board. They're going to fly me, blah, blah, blah. I go, all right, but chill the fuck out. Listen to what we're going to do. I said, I got 11, 11 plus years left, 12 years left. I said, I'm going to take the ticket. I'm going to say I put the shit there. I'll take the ticket. That's not even going to be. I'm already in level four. I can't get down anyway, so I've been in level four for three fucking years anyway. I'll take the ticket. I'll say I put it over there. You won't get the ticket, and you'll still see the board without a class one. He's like, I can't ask you to do that. I'm like, I'm not. I'm doing it anyways. Fuck it. You know what I mean? I got so much. I'll fall on the sword. This is nothing to me. I'll get 20 days LOP. No big deal. And I'll get a class one that the parole board won't even see by the time I get there. They only look a couple years back, really. So he's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah. So because he was asking to go to the hole, the cops come back, and they're like, all right, come on. We're going to talk to you. So they cuff him up and take him out. Now, the whole reason I'm doing this is so he doesn't catch a major ticket so as they take him off i call the other cop over i'm like hey come here like listen i'm that was mine and he knows what time it is i'm like that was mine i put that there and he's like well just wait a minute and i'll be back so they go off and he comes back you're telling this to the cool cop or the dickhead no the cool one. i'm like listen that was mine that was mine i put that there in his area of control you know what i'm saying and he mm -hmm. knows the time it is but he's cool with it he's like all right i gotta i gotta do this he's like think about what you're doing though and I'm like, whatever. Just come, you know, so he's, he ends up coming back like 40 minutes later, and he goes, listen, I understand, but the problem is he's, he's already going to uh, write the ticket that he found in his area of control, and it's his shit. He goes, now, if you want to take it, I guess you can, but we're all, that's not even the major. We're right, uh, the major one we're writing him for is threatening, uh, threatening staff, which is worse in, in some ways. Let, you can't explain that one away. You at least should have a chance explaining the other one. You know what I mean? So he's like, if you still want to take it, okay, but it's not going to do anything for him because now we got him with a threatening behavior because he's uh, threatening staff and he's kicking the door saying he's going to kill Ward. 
And I'm like, God damn it. If he would have just fucking listened, if, you know what I mean? If he would have just calmed down and not done that shit, he would have been like, I could have taken this one possibly. Now that I've been down longer, I realize that it's hard to actually take uh, a, a, a char, uh, ticket for somebody. Even if it's, even if you say, yeah, I put that in his area of control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, he's like, you can, but then you'll both just go to the hole. And I'm like, well, fuck that. He's already going to get, you know what I mean? And uh, so I ended up not, not doing it. And that was the last I saw of him. I sent him some words while he was in the hole. And then he called my mom. He called old St. Producer and let me know he was all right. And then he ended up going home at some point. I heard from him like a year later or something. He got a flop, though. So, you know, that... You have one minute remaining. Definitely got another year out of him over over swallowing, swallowing those pills. But uh, I learned a lesson in that shit, though, like... If when it's parole time, when it's getting the don't you're no do I'm not doing anything. I, I stopped doing all dumb shit anyways um, over the last couple of years since I fell back. But that was um, he was a great bunky man, and that was the, the last I seen old Scott. I don't know where he is and what he's doing, but uh, I got his mom's phone number and I went and looked it up and I knew we were going to talk about him. And I should uh, actually have mom call him and see what, see if he's back in prison or if he's successful, if he's alive or what. Yeah, I, w- I wish him the best. Uh, maybe when you call me back, uh, we can discuss flop. I don't think our listeners are um, are familiar with the term flop. Yeah, I'm gonna give me two seconds. Right on. Hey, hey, epa, epa. <laughs> Yeah, so um, a flop is slang for getting your parole denied. I don't know where it comes from. It's uh, so so much a part of lingo that it's nothing else. Is, it's called nothing else. And um, it's so much a part of my lexicon. I don't even question saying it, as you could probably tell. I just throw the word flop around like everyone knows what that means. But, yeah, it means uh, getting denied your parole. Uh, they flopped me. They gave me a 12-month flop. They gave me an 18-month flop or whatever, however, the, however long the deny of your parole is, you know. Yeah, but I I don't even really understand, and I'm a lead listener, and I don't fully grasp. Um, uh, Barb brought it up. You have your uh, earliest release date, your ERD, and that's after because Michigan doesn't, you know, they do the bullshit truth and sentencing uh, type shit, so there's, there's no reason to be good. You're getting all your time, but you could have more time, but if you, I guess if you don't, get any more time than you get your earliest release date. But in order to do that, you got to go to the parole board and they got to see that you weren't, uh, I guess, uh, caught with razor blades in your desk or, or pills under your ball sack. I don't, I don't know what they're looking for, but whatever they're looking for. Can you, uh, elaborate on, uh, cause I don't, I don't, I don't understand how that, yeah, like like even for you, like what happens when you get out? You're going to be on parole, or are you going to live in a halfway house? Like, take me through all those steps. So, he, so from the best of my understanding, before they before they had mandatory minimums, when they had good time, what would happen is let's say let's say the let's say I don't know, name your crime. Let's say I'm having a pound of weed in your possession. Um. Without any, like, priors, like, just no priors, whatever. Let's just say having a pound of weed in your possession is five years. Like, that's the max. The way it used to be, you'd get sentenced to five years for a pound of weed. 
And if you were an asshole and you weren't rehabilitated, you do all five years. If you were good, you could earn time off of that five years. Like the first two years, you earn like two days off each month or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Okay. You're not catching any tickets in those months. So you could get out in four years or whatever it is, right? So, so five years is your max, and then you could earn time off earlier. What happened with truth and sentencing is that instead of five years being your max, five years is now your minimum. Like, you have to do that five years. And what they do is they add a tail, they call it, behind that, which is like, let's say it's a 15-year felony. They have, like, my involuntary manslaughter is a 15-year felony. So that's now your tail. So what used to be your max now becomes your minimum. And then what now they add a new max. So it's like you do 5 to 15. So you cannot get out. So it shifts the whole thing. It's like taking the curb away from um, a test, a class test. It, t- it takes what was once the maximum and now makes it the minimum to where no matter what you do, you can't get out till then. And then if you don't, if, you're, if they deem that you're not fucking rehabilitated, then you can do all the way up to 15. So it shifts everything towards the extreme level to where... If you keep fucking up, then they'll flop you, flop you, flop you, flop you, and you can do what's called maxing out to where you get all the way up to the 15th year, and it doesn't matter. You could be, as long as you're not catching new cases, you can do whatever you want. When I was in Carson City, there was a guy who was about to max out. I think he had like an eight-year sentence, and he was just making drink, and they'd pop him for it. This class one substance abuse, making drink, pop him, and he didn't give a fuck because he was maxing out. So he's like, I don't give a shit. I'm leaving anyways, no matter what. I can go fucking piss on you. I can get into fights. I can do whatever. And I'm getting out anyways. I'm maxing out. So that's kind of that's that's kind of what happens now. If you stay out of trouble and shit nowadays, for the most part, MDOC was getting this. I don't know how true this is, but MDOC was supposedly getting money, you know, reimbursed from the feds um, for like because their prison budget's out of control. And so they were flopping people because they were like, you know, getting money from the feds to keep people incarcerated or whatever. Um, some of the stuff that happened that was written into the 94 Crime Act for if you – they gave them money to build more prisons and to adopt mandatory minimum sentences, and they knew it was going to cost money. So the feds were, like, you know, giving stipends to states that adopted it, so Michigan was taking advantage of it. And they were flopping people for the smallest reason just to keep them in there. Well, a couple years ago, allegedly, the feds were like, hey, we're not paying for constant flops for you guys. You guys are out of control there. We'll pay for one. One per inmate, which, you know, on average. So that means you take that. It's, what they would have to do is take that one per inmate and then let nine people go and keep the one psychopath in here for up to 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Like they would switch that around to, to, to figure it out. But that's kind of how the, the ERD and the mandatory minimum stuff works. Everything shifted towards the max was now your minimum. It doesn't make sense, man. People get flopped that haven't caught any tickets, and then some people get caught flopped for catching one ticket. It's, it's real weird, man. And... So the idea is, right, the, 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 the defense of this uh, mandatory minimum is like, no, no, you, do, you are encouraged to be better. Otherwise, you'll do all your, all your flop time. You'll, you'll do all the way to your tail. But we're already doing what should have been a max for that crime anyways. You know what I mean? We're already, right. That's the minimum we, we have to do. And so it just, it just takes the whole thing away and moves it to the other side of the scale and goes, oh, no, no, now no matter what you're doing your max, but if you're really an asshole, we'll do, make you do more than your maximum. 
we'll make you, we created a whole new, we stretched the thing out longer now so we can keep you in here forever if, if we want to. So the idea is somehow that, no, no, there is still negative reinforcement to be had. There's just not any positive reinforcement. Or if you're blind, you'll go, no, there is positive. The positive is that you'll get out at what used to be your max. Right, you know right. I mean? uh, that's super positive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's so that's kind of how that all. Without without going into too much detail, isn't one of the the usual suspects, uh, old Hollywood? Isn't he getting ready to see the parole board soon? Yeah, yeah, within a couple of weeks. You think he's going to flop? I, I heard he's got a little bit of uh, something going on. Yeah, he was he's super optimistic, and I hope the best for him. But I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if he got his if oh. papers and stuff. But you do think he's going to flop? Yeah, I think they're going to flop him. Well, I hope not, you know. And there's, like I said, there's are they're arbitrary, they're weird. Uh, they flop some people that haven't done any. They're weird, man, which makes me kind of nervous for when I come up to see him. But, um, yeah, it's weird. One of the, go ahead, never mind. I was, uh. Well, idiot neighbor, idiot neighbor Rio, he got out and he was, you know, an idiot. But he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't catching tickets, though. He okay. wasn't catching, like, a, actual tickets. He was just doing stupid stuff that if they were paying attention, I don't think they would have gave it to him. But they don't like to. I don't know. It's weird, man. It's hard. And that's another confusing thing about the joint is, like, it's hard to set your compass because, you know, they're so – it's like they're just – they're a wild card, man. It's like they're so – they're governed by logic so little that you can't predict what they're going to do almost. They're a true wild card. <laughs> of what the institution's going to do and why. Even with this whole corona, with everything, you don't, you would go, well, it would make sense for this, but then there's like this circular logic where you're like, it would make sense for them to do this, but because it's the MDOC and it makes sense, they probably won't do it. But because I think they won't do it, now I'm predicting they won't do it, which means they would, and it just keeps going. So you're like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what they're going to do. It almost they seems fucking. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, nothing. It's... Go ahead. Well, it's, it seems like their own uh, bureaucratic bullshit is what handcuffs them. Like, oh, I don't know. We should maybe listen to this rule. Oh, no, no. We should listen to this rule. Oh, no. We should listen to this rule. Uh, no, we should just do the right thing. Oh, get the fuck out of here. No, we're following the rules. You know, do it. whatever makes sense. Fuck you. We're, we're serving pizza with corn and lettuce, you know, because that's part exactly. of the rules. Exactly. Well, we got corn, and we got pizza, and we got lettuce. Let's why not mash them together. What are you right. talking about? Why would that seem weird to you? You know what I mean? There's no logic in it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's entirely crazy. One of the things I wanted to mention, too, that I was thinking when I was calling back, um, one of the things about that's unique to prison, I feel, you know, there might be, like, small circumstances, like if you go to college and you have a dorm room or whatever, um, and to a lesser degree. But prison forces you into this little foxhole of this, like, traumatic, fucked-up, chaotic, violent, um, um, scarring, whatever, whatever adjective you want to use, situation. And it puts all these people in your life briefly but very intensely. So you live with another human being for 23 hours a day and a level four um, nonstop where you're just around each other the whole time for months or years at a time. And then these people blow into your life, and then you have this... You get to know them on like such a fucking deep level, and then they're just gone. And for, I mean, there's, I think I've had 30 plus bunkies uh, in my bit, and like each one of them you remember, and you're like, wow, this is a great guy. This one was a turd. This one, but most of them have been 
cool people, man. Most of them have been like people you'd bring home and let them, you know what I mean? You would have no problem introducing your family to two at a barbecue or something. You know what I mean? And uh, You think you're up to 30? 30 for real? Mm-hmm, probably. I counted one time. It's Well, it's definitely, if it's not 30, it's like 28, 29 or something like that. Wow. I had uh, one more after that, but he was uh, old, really old white dude that didn't really say much. And I was only bunkies with him for like four days before they wrote me out from Carson City. But, you know, that, I, I wrote a piece somewhere along the way about that, about how, you know, when when you're younger, I, I was in a military family, so we moved around a lot um, when we were younger. And um, I would always have these little best friends at each place I lived. And then we move would be like this gut wrenching, heartbreaking thing where we'd split up. And then it stops happening once you become an adult and stuff, and no one yanks your best friend away from you. And with social media and all that stuff, it doesn't happen anymore. And then you come to prison, and um, it starts happening again. You have like these great friends that you know, you know, you make plans and you exchange numbers, but you know, I'll probably never see this person again. And it's both sucks, but it's also like teaches you to like, oh, enjoy these people in the moment when you have them around and, and you have this time and it doesn't have to be permanent. You don't have to, that's one of the fallacies I think I had out in the world is that you have to stretch anything good, stretch it out until it's what, until it's not good anymore. And, uh, it's like a thing that, that really affects you in here. If you're, if you have a heart and you're paying attention, you know, me and Joe were together for five years. Yeah. Then you're saying, let's enjoy that while we enjoy it and then not look beyond it or past it. Well, you have to in here. I'd rather not, but you have to in here. And then there's, there is actually a, a, a cool little lesson in there. Um, I, it's bullshit. It's like something you don't want to have to fucking learn. You know what I mean? Like these are, a lot of people are really cool people, but it's just another thing that I don't think anyone, I would have never suspected that about prison. I wouldn't think about prison and think, Oh, you go there and you meet people that, you could be friends with for the rest of your life, and then with no no say of your own, they're put in and then yanked out of your life. For you know what I mean, and you wouldn't think of that as like being an emotional thing you have to go through in prison. And I know a lot of the viewers, you know, that's one of the things I think that intrigues people about this podcast is revealing some of those things, and that's a big one that people don't really, I don't think, know about or think about. No, that's something I would never think about. Yeah, and. And hearing your stories, it's not only you just lost somebody that's a cool homeboy that you could kick it with and you could go to a barbecue and you could introduce to your family. And, you hey, you might even not care if this guy dated your sister. Like, he's that cool. But now he's gone, and I got to read this other dude's PSI, and if he's a chomo, I got to get him the fuck out of here. one minute remaining. Or... Or maybe he's just a older guy who sleeps all the time. That's so weird. Yeah, you kind of cut out there. You're saying the other aspect of it being like a yeah. There's like a real nerve wracking thing. Like I, fingers crossed. I hope I get a good bunky. I hope. I, and we went over that in the last one. I hope I get a good bunky. I hope I get a good bunky. I mean, nothing weighs heavier on what kind of prison that you're doing a, a good one, an easy one, or a tough one, as that. You know. Yeah, it's fucked up. All right. You waiting for it? You know I am. We gone. To learn more about Bobby and prison reform, go to notesfromthepen.com. This has been another Notes from the Pen production. I can't. I don't ever know anymore. There's only, the only 
time recently where I got off, I was like, but it, but it wasn't even a full one. It was at the end of the barb one where like, uh, I get this feeling if I like express something to my satisfaction that I felt like I needed to express or something, but something feels kind of relieving after we tied it in a knot. I was like, Oh, that felt pretty good. But that's just was one little segment. Shit. It's hard. I, I like, I got to uh, adjust my standards, you know what I'm saying? And, and be like, they're not all going to be, I, I don't even, me even explaining this makes it sound like I think it's a turd. I don't at all. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's a bunky one. You know what I mean? That's not super profound. It's a, a, another snapshot. Yeah, and it doesn't sound terrible. And I think it was super interesting that, you know, you set it up and then you went into the, oh, no, Scott's a good dude. And then, yeah, and then he found, uh, and then the bad cop found a razor blade, which we don't really know, and Chop says he got them all out, so he's kicking the door yelling, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. And you're like, you know, you you didn't know at the time to be like, don't say that, asshole, I'm going to take the heat for you. And then the good cop, which really isn't a good cop, because he let the guy plant the shit anyway, but... yeah. Yeah, I, when he was doing that, I wasn't... I hadn't really thought of that being an option. It was like everything happened so fast that my brain's like trying to process that I got my homeboy who's just going ape shit in there that I'm not even... I'm trying to do the calculations of mental problem solving. Like, is there a way out of this? What can we do? But by the time I realized that he had already done all that shit, and I still was like ready to do it, but I didn't think they'd get him for that, that threatening behavior shit. You know what I mean? And I said it too late. Right, you know what I mean. But he's going ape shit, and you know he's not toler. You know he's he's not controllable. You can't rein him in when he's going ape. Yeah, I I could have said anything to him, and he would have been doing that. You know what I mean? He was so mad for being stuffed into a level four, anyways, when he didn't do anything, which I probably should have said on the goddamn podcast. Yeah, and why wouldn't he have been mad? And he's probably thinking, "This is why I fucking didn't. I was scared to be in a level four. Shit like this was going to happen." Well, I think he was more like, well, I didn't know I was going to have to worry about the goddamn cops. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, that one was a turd, that, that cop. Like a bad human being. And my mom, I ended up getting an emergency ride out because mom had fucking requested from the MDOC because I was like, listen, this guy sets people up with knives. This is before this actually happened because I, I had already known about this guy. So this guy sets people up with knives, and he's got a real fucking hard dick for my fraternity. And uh, he just set one of my homies up. And um, if I ever go to the hole for a knife, I want you to know I did not have a knife. I do not have knives in my house. And if I go to the hole for one, it's a setup. So she took it upon herself to call like Lansing and call the prison and request his, his disciplinary history based on the Freedom of Information Act and blah, 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 blah. And then sent me a letter like saying all that shit, which I had in my shit. And he, he shakes me down one day and finds it. And it's just sitting on my bunk. And I'm like, God damn it. And I had already told her, don't ever do that again without my permit. You know what I'm saying? But I wasn't, anyways, I ended up, this is the very shortest version. I ended up getting that like later that night, they come and knock on my door in the middle of the night pack up your ride now, emergency ride out in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck? Holy shit. And then I went to disciplinary joint. I went to Oaks level four. And I was like, don't ever fucking do that shit again. I know you were trying to protect me and all that shit. I was just telling you if I go to the hole, know what, know what time it is. It's not, she got proactive. I was trying to get her to be reactive if something happened. And now she knows, you know what I'm saying? Now she knows. She's always like, well, just tell me when you want me to pull, you know, to make the move. Yeah, it's, uh, that's crazy pants. 
I mean, and and nobody's you can't fault Mama C for that. I mean, it's a learning experience for everybody. She was looking out for you, based off what you told her. But uh, you know, based off what how it went down, it's like oh shit. But then isn't Oaks where you met Joe? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's so- like a, another prime example of like my philosophy on life. Like, don't shit might be frustrating and tough, but don't assume it's going to be bad. Uh, you know? Yeah, I met Joe there. Yeah, so don't assume they're the worst. Like romance, romance blossom. So, yeah, he was my favorite bunkie. My second favorite bunkie, bunkie was close though. His name was uh, Outlaw. What? I've never heard anything about Outlaw. Outlaw is. I got a picture of him. I should have sent. Oh yeah, check your mailbox, man. You should have got my letter sent by now. Um, hopefully you'll get it soon. My, okay. Should I mailed you? But um. Yeah, Outlaw was great. He was a part of a, a rival fraternity. We were in Oaks Level 4 together. He's West Virginia stock. You know, like, there's, like, the white biker dudes who are, like, dark hair and, like, dark goatee. They almost look like they could be, like, part of something else. He was kind of like that. He was he was younger than me, though, so he wasn't, like, old dude. But he had ties to Outlaw biker shit, but he was in this other street fraternity. and He was a wild man. Yeah, I bet you meet some characters, dude. I mean, Blaze himself oh, yeah. is a fucking character. I mean, Chop and Toro, they're they're diminutive characters. I mean, they're cool. I like them, but, like, yeah, I don't know. Some of the personalities, some of them are, like, bigger than life. It's like, oh, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. How long is the character? I love that guy. But, yeah, you're right. Blaze is, like, one of them. Lapeer. Oh, God. Lapeer and Lampton. Oh, look, listen. Yeah, I forgot. You've seen Trailer Park Boys. Like, Bubbles Glasses. Just, man, a, a black metalhead with plaque on his teeth so thick, like, you, it would chip away. Pieces of it would chip away. Fingernails as long as, like, a Halloween costume. A patch worn. Yeah, like, there's there's plenty of guys, like, people where you, you Like, sometimes I'll look around and I go, this can't be real. Like, this isn't... This is simulation theory. This is, like, a real good example or evidence of simulation theory. And, uh... None of this is real. We're in the Matrix.